0: The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. At the door. Today we are in part five of our series, Did Jesus Really Say That? Did Jesus really say that? And, and the background to this is that, you know, yeah, I mean, re- years ago, I mean, when I first came to, to Christ and reading the Bible, and I really loved to read the Bible, I still do. And I, I come across certain statements that kind of make me uncomfortable because you know, particularly statements by Jesus, you know, and and, and I say to, to myself, did Jesus really say that? You know, and as i studied i actually really understood what jesus was saying and jesus obviously is not the red kind of regular guy we think he is jesus for me the the caricature of jesus that i had in my mind was was confronted you know when i read certain statements and, and i'm like really jesus said that and and we've been if we've, miss any of this, I want to encourage you to get um, the, the messages. They are free, so just um, download them and listen to them. we we'll, we'll started by Jesus' statement um, when he said, do not resist an evil person. And we unpacked that, and we saw what he was actually saying. And, and in part two, we looked at Jesus saying, follow me. Come on, this guy walked on water. He said, follow me. <laughs> Am I going to drown? You know? And we kind of um, looked at it with Lady dead bury the dead in part three we looked at the words you say will acquit you or condemn you last week part four we looked at eat my flesh and drink my blood jesus said eat my flesh and drink my blood and we explained and, and broke it down Today we are going to be looking at one of the most controversial statements of Jesus. All of them are kind of controversial. That that I've been particularly for those that are um, not in the faith, and that is Jesus saying, "I did not come for peace." Jesus says, "I did not come for peace," and I'm like, "How can Jesus say I did not come for peace?" I mean, he's supposed to be God. Supposed to be the one to make peace, and he says, "Don't even think about it." Our text is Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we, we read verse 34. And these are the words of Jesus. If you haven't read the Bible, these words are in red. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, he says, Don't imagine, don't even think about it. Don't even imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. He says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Did you just tell us a few weeks ago to turn the other cheek? Did you just tell us not to resist the evil person? But Jesus is saying, don't think I've come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. And and I, I I used to struggle with that because I'm like even the prophetic destiny of Jesus, if you look at the prophetic destiny of Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9, verse, chapter 9 verse 6, the, the word of God says concerning Jesus that he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty god, everlasting father and prince of peace. So, Jesus, the prince of peace, says, don't even think I have come to bring peace. What was he saying? Is there a contradiction here? Why would Jesus say, I have come to bring the sword? But I realize that the the challenge we have is because we are confusing peace making with peace. Peacekeeping. Huge difference. You know, Jesus wants us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Jesus came as a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. If you understand this huge difference, I mean, it will just resolve the conflict. So human beings, we we like peacekeeping missions, you know, United Nations, you know, they we're setting peacekeeping missions to this nation, to that nation, even there, peacekeeping missions here and there, and peacekeepers basically are supposed to go there and say, guys, truce, don't fight. But the Bible says nothing about peacekeeping, interestingly, check Genesis Revelations, Rather, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, 9. The word of God says that blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called what? The children of God. The peacekeeper may be hurt. But the peacekeeper keeps quiet in the interest of peace. In the interest of peace. And interestingly, Jesus is not interested in that kind of peace. The peacemaker, on the other hand, will seek to resolve the issue, even if it's uncomfortable. The peacekeeper will say, you know what, for peace sake, don't let us have this discussion. Have you heard that before? so that peace will peacekeeper the peacemaker says we need to have this discussion so that lasting peace will huge difference the peacekeeper wants to maintain the status quo the peacemaker wants to take the relationship to the next level so peacemaking is an opportunity to do what is right. And when you, when people insist on, on peacekeeping, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we have different temperaments and all that and all that and all that. And some temperaments favors one to the other, but it, it doesn't change the word of God. If, if the word of God says that, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, press down, shake it together, run it over. You say, oh, my temperaments, we, we like to receive in my father's house. We we just, you know may you not know, die in poverty <laughs> in Jesus, so you need to break out of it that's what I'm saying, whatever do, your natural dispense propensity is so if you, if you go by peacekeeping you, you discover that you have a lot of resentment you are, you're a passive aggressor you, you hurt you have surface level relationships, you, you really can't have deep relationships, right, because you, you rather just back off you really don't have peace. But if a peacemaker, on the other hand, you find out that sometimes you have uncomfortable discussions, but your relationships are more meaningful. And the objective is to seek peace, not the absence of conflict. The objective of the peacekeeper is the absence of conflict. The objective of the peacekeeper is the absence of conflict. The objective of God and what he has called us to be as peacemakers is to seek peace, not the absence of conflict. In other words, if there's conflict, fine, but we will seek peace. Huge difference. And sometimes it, it, it's challenging to separate because both peacemakers and peacekeepers take one for the team. Both peacemakers and peacekeepers. And, 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 Peacekeepers usually sacrifice something for the team, for, for the relationship. So, so they are not, it's not that they are peacekeepers are selfish people or people that, or, or peacemakers are self, necessarily selfish. Both of them take a fall, as it were. But the, the, the challenge here, or the, the key thing here, is that there are totally different ways. And one produces a different fruit than the other. So how do I know if I've been peacekeeping, some of you already know, I, I, I've been peacekeeping a lot. And some of you know people that have been peacekeeping. But just to help us, how do I know, have I been peacekeeping? I just want to a few things that will, that will just put it out there in your face if you have been, so that you can realign and be a peacemaker instead. Peacekeepers avoid conflict. They apologize for things they haven't done. Have you seen people that say, Well, I, I haven't done anything wrong? I don't know, but I am sorry. I, I, have you seen that before? In some marriages, some people are always apologizing. Apologize, oh, do let's talk to people. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. let's just move on. Oh, you know, meanwhile, the relationship is getting rotten. And you claim for peace to reign. Which peace? The peace of the graveyard, if you have any kind of peace. Why? Because there are rotten bones around that. It's going to blow up one day. So, for, so, I'm sorry, so peace make keepers apologize for what they've not done wrong. Peace keepers always work on eggshells. Not to upset anyone. Or not to upset the person in the relationship. So they're walking on eggshells. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have done that. Oh, come on, be yourself, relax. Take a deep breath. They are always working on exits, and it's frustrating to t- try and relate to, to a peacekeeper. How many of you have watched coming to America? You know, they prepared a peacekeeper for the prince as the bride, and and the guy wanted to give the girl a chance. I said, okay, let's have a conversation. What do you want? Anything you want, my lord. What do you like to eat? Anything you want to eat, my lord. And the guy couldn't get it. and I think he said something like, if I say she bark like a dog, bark, woo, 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 as a peacekeeper. Barking like a dog for peace sake. If I say she hop, hop. She was hoping, you need to watch that movie. It's a classic. <laughs> and, but really, people are in relationship and that is all they are about. Anything you want. I will bend over backwards. I will show myself. You want me to myself how many times? God has not called us to be peacekeepers. God has called us to be what? Peacemakers, peacekeepers don't share how they really feel so they don't hurt anyone or start an argument. And at the end of the day, they, they produce shallow relationships. They don't, you, you, you really feel this way, but you, you don't want to say it. Why? Because you don't want to hurt anyone. You need to say it not in a vindictive way, but you need to, you need to, you need to communicate, you need to communicate it. Peacekeepers struggle with identity crisis. They always struggle with identity crisis. They struggle to know who they are, who they really are. They struggle with identity crisis. Why? Because they, on one hand, they want to say the truth. On the other one hand, they don't want to hurt anybody. They are afraid of conflict. They are afraid of you know, having a tough discussion. And the sad thing, with all the good intentions of peacekeepers, the sad thing is that the things they fear the most always happens to them. Job is a fantastic peacekeeper. When his children goes out to to party and perhaps do crazy things, instead of Job, to disciple his children, to make peace, to to help them find God, to confront the issue that was fornication, to confront whatever there was on ground, do you know what Job would do? Job would just sacrifice and say, oh God, in case there was any wrongdoing. Eventually, he blew up in his face. And he said, oh, the things I fear the most has happened to me. If you keep peacekeeping in that relationship, it's going to blow up in your face. It's not a bad prophecy. It's the truth. So you need to realign yourself. What does God want me to be? He wants you to be a peacemaker. Because blessed are the peace because they will be called. So who are peacemakers? Have I been a peacemaker? How can I be a peacemaker? Just three things about peacemakers. Peacemakers are committed to speaking the truth in love. They are committed to speaking the truth in love. When they are offended or hurt, they communicate their feelings honestly. Honestly, they do. Peacemaker. When they have hurt others, they own their mistakes and ask for forgiveness. Peacemakers. Peacekeepers, sometimes they don't want to even own own up. Peacemakers, they are willing to own up. I I did wrong here. I'm sorry. Peacemakers, they know that keeping quiet will never lead to intimacy. Keeping quiet. Everybody say, keeping quiet will never lead to intimacy. Unfortunately, we've been told, oh, keep quiet so that everything will go on smoothly. No, 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 no. Keeping quiet will never lead to intimacy. Secondly, peacemakers pursue reconciliation at the risk of confrontation. They are not just about confrontation. They want reconciliation, but if confrontation comes with a package, well, that's Just what it is. So the focus is on reconciliation and not confrontation. Confrontation can just be a bridge to reconciliation. Not confrontation for confrontation's sake, but sometimes confrontation is inevitable. And when you want to confront an issue, it is always best, you know, there are two approaches to to confrontation, confronting an issue. You have the advocacy and the inquiry. Advocacy, inquiry. So if I want to confront an issue, and I'm using the advocacy um, um, path, I'm going through the advocacy path, it simply means that I am just stating my own point of view. And in advocacy, you know, it can be very, 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 very strenuous on the relationship. In 1961, the United States of America had felt, based on intelligence from CIA, that they needed to take off um, Castro from from Cuba. And JFK authorized a military campaign in the Bay of Pigs. And, of course, it was a disaster because the approach was advocacy. I'm, I'm going to explain later when I explain the second approach. So, but the U.S. lost and blah, 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 blah. Now, a few months later, they discovered that Soviet Union is, is, is planting missile heads in Cuba just facing the U.S. So they needed to confront it. So what did he do this time? He called the CIA guys and the military guys. You know, intelligence and military are always at loggerheads. And he made the CIA guys argue for The military's point of view and made the military guys argue for, you, for the military's point of view. So, yeah, before the president, and the president said, This is your own point of view, but I don't want to hear your own point of view. I want you to convince me that your opponent is right. Otherwise, you lose your job. And he flipped it the other way. And when they had to do that, they came up with a superior strategy, the blockade, and that just solved the problem. And Kennedy was explaining later that in the first Instance, he used advocacy. In the second instance, he used inquiry. So basically, it's just like seeking first to understand, then to be understood. And it made a whole lot of difference. So in confrontation, you're not just saying confront and just just go and fight and break down the roof. You're saying, you need to see what the other person is saying first. Inquiry. Then, it can be solved. Why? Because avoiding conflict will never build intimacy. Avoiding conflict will never build intimacy. You will never go closer in that relationship by pretending there's no conflict. You know, I've heard people say to me, Oh, Pastor, you know, let's leave this thing, you know, let's let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> I said, You better wake up that sleeping dog <laughs> and deal with the matter. The challenge we have is that we start, let's say we, it's a five-step it five process, and the peak of the pain is in step four, before the peace in step five. And we start in step one, and by the time we get to step two, the pain is a lot. By the time we get to step three, the pain is huge. A lot of people are bought the process and sweep it under the carpet. But guess what? When you bring it out again, you're starting from step from step one. So people have gone from step one to three many times. That's why it appears as if there's no solution. You need to follow through to step four and break through step five that you can have lasting, lasting peace. So sometimes the only way you can make peace is by embracing confrontation. Don't be afraid of confrontation. Embrace it. It's part of life. Number three, peacemakers are not only committed to speaking the truth in love. They are not only committed to reconciliation at the risk of confrontation. They are humble enough to pray for the person that hurts them. Peacemakers are humble enough to pray for the person that hurts them. Why? Because God heals my heart when I pray for the people that hurt me. When you pray for the person that hurts you, God heals your, heals your heart. You know, I've, I've seen people say to me that, Pastor, I can't even pray for that guy. In fact, if I pray for that guy, it's fire. Fire prayer. Fall down and die. That's what I mean. Prayer. <laughs> you know? No. God wants us to pray for our enemies and bless them that persecute us. Why? Because, you know, when you do that, you are saying to God, that it is more important that my heart is right than for me to be in the right. When you are able to pray for the person that irritates you and just behaving like a nuisance, you are saying to God, it is more important that my heart is right than for me to win an argument. And the it, secret to doing that is the word Gratitude. Gratitude. Look at that person. That person, I know. That person, oh, yes. It's, you don't even want to think about the person because the person annoys you even right now. You feel like banging your Bible on his head. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> think about that person. There is one thing you can be grateful to God for about that person. I say, Pastor, you don't know my wife. There's nothing to be grateful for. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's one. at least one thing Say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. My husband, that guy is incorrigible. There's always one, at least one thing. God doesn't leave us without one thing to be grateful for. Focus on that one thing. Thank God for that person. Thank God for that person. Say, oh, pastor, I can not thank God? There's nothing to thank God for. She cannot even cook. There's too much salt and pepper. There's something to thank God for there. At least there is paper. At least there is salt. So God, please just help her regulate it. There's always something to be grateful for. And when we come from the place of gratitude, we find that it's easier to pray for the person. It could be your father, it could be your mother, it could be whoever. When you come from the place of gratitude, Say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. My mother is a witch. The witch that has not killed you until you're 30, 40. You should be grateful <laughs> that God gave you a witch that took care of you. Isn't that a super point of gratitude? There is always something to be grateful. And when you come from gratitude, it's easier to really pray for the person. And you know, it's amazing because even when we said that we should thank God for, from January to now, I know some people are like, okay, pastor, what are we thanking God for? You, sh- you can't, there's always something to thank God for. Which is why we, co- we in, in the culture of gratitude is, is key to us in God's family house. We, we separate a, a, a day, a, well, day in the month, that we, we say thank you to God. Why? Because it's easy, if you feel God has disappointed you, it's easy to, be, to have an attitude towards God. It's easy to even come to church and, and you're like, your nose is in the skies. And you're like, why should I dance? But when you think that like, it is only the living, like, the reason you are sitting like this is because you're alive now. you I mean, uh, so that is a good reason to thank God. At least I'm alive. Yes, we struggle to do that. We yeah, at least I'm alive. Because I'm alive, you've kept me alive, you have a purpose for me. When we come from the place of gratitude, it's easier to pray for the most irritating person on earth. And I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen a few. I'm looking into my notes. I'm not looking at anybody. I've seen a few irritating people. That you just want to give them a punch in the truth. Just one. There was one guy, I said to the Lord, Lord, just one punch. <laughs> just one. <laughs> okay, not in the truth, maybe on the chest. Because <laughs> people will just push you. The key to real peace is for you to stop... Keeping peace and start making peace. The the key to real peace is for you to stop keeping peace and start what? Making peace. Make peace in your relationship. Leave this, this service today and go and make peace in your relationships. Make peace with your maker. Make peace with God. Some of us, we like to keep peace with God. We want to keep peace with God, but you need to make peace with God. You come to God. You know you've messed up. You say, Father, I'm just sorry for everything. All the bad, bad things I've done. I plead the blood of Jesus. Which bad thing? Say it. Confront it. Make peace with God. Make peace with your maker. You stole somebody's money. Say, I stole this amount. Don't just say, I plead the blood of Jesus, all the bad things. Okay, fine, you've done that. Which bad thing? Say it. You slept with somebody you're not supposed to sleep with. Oh, Father, you know we are all sinners. We just come by the blood of Jesus. Oh, and you want God? No, 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 no. Say, I. Uh (laughs) That's how to make peace with God. Don't gloss over it. That's how to make peace with God. Confront the issue. So, you know, so you have to learn it. Even in your relationship, you have to learn it. When intending couples come to me and they say they want to get married, one of the first questions I say to them after I've done all these things, I said to them that, have you guys fought before? You know what I said to some of them, not all of them. Some of said to me, oh, no, pastor, we can't fight. She's just an angel. get lee <laughs> Oh, she's so sweet, pastor. So I just ignored the guy. I, I look at the girl. I said, Have you fought this guy before? I said, No, Pastor, he can't even hurt a fly. <laughs> He's such a perfect gentleman. <laughs> and my response is go and fight. <laughs> of marriage. Fighting. <laughs> Not so much the fighting, but the conflict resolution. If you don't know how to go through a phase of intense pressure and you both are able to resolve it by yourself, how will you survive marriage? Marriage is one series, at least in the initial days, of one marriage experience, one series of one after the other. Ah. Jesus did not come to guarantee us a conflict-free relationship. No, he, he didn't. In, in Matthew 10, 35, the word of God says that I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. He says, your enemies will be right in your own household. Wow. Jesus did not come to guarantee conflict-free relationships. Jesus came to guarantee peace with God. Why? Because Jesus knows that if you, if, 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 if you can have peace with God, let's say you have a house, father and mother. If father has peace with God and wife does not have peace with God, will there be peace in that family? No. If wife has peace with God and father doesn't have peace with God, there will still not be peace. But if both have peace with God, there will be peace and harmony in the family. So Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter. The individual. The individual. I want you to have peace with God. John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift. The gift of the peace of mind and heart. The peace I give you is the peace the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus says, And Jesus is saying, sometimes I am the dividing line. John 12, 51. John 12, 51. He says, do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? He says, no. I have come to divide people against each other. Did that sound like the image of Jesus you had? He says, I've come to divide people against each other. And from now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, three against. Or two in favor of me or two against. Jesus is saying in some cases I we have majority, in some cases that we have minority. Whatever happens, I will be the dividing line. Wow. Matthew 10, 37, it says, if you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you are not even worthy of being mine. You are not worthy of being mine. It says, oh, if you love your son or your daughter, More than me. He says, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you, receives me. And anyone who receives me, receives the father that sent me. But sometimes Jesus is saying, you see, there will come a time in your life that you need to take a stand for me. And by taking a stand for me, you will alienate yourself from your loved ones. You will, if they, do, if they are not aligned with me. And you see, Christians are supposed to be loving. And that's why the world doesn't understand Christianity. Because, you know, Christians are loving people. We love people. Guess what? But we are also able to take a stand for our God which means that when we take a stand for our God, sometimes it appears that we are drawing a line, are being alienated from people. Take the issue of the the gay um, um, ruling in the U.S. You you heard about it? That is throwing a lot of families into a lot of confusion. I was on a pastor's blog um, a few days ago, and the blog was on fire. It blogged about the issue. You know, America, North, North American pastors, some of them, they are experts at navigating matters without saying anything. They will touch on the matter, they will test with things, they will, you will not be able to hold them like this. You can't tell whether they are on the lost side or <laughs> You know, it's just crazy. I mean, pastors say, oh, the, the, the Supreme uh, uh, Court did not debate 1 Corinthians 15. Um, uh, I'm like, what does that mean? Is that the issue here? He says, oh, if Christians will be evangelizing, we we'll won't have this problem. Well, that is true, but that's not the issue right now. If your church has not been evangelizing, whose fault is it? It's the pastor's fault. If your church is not giving, whose fault is it? It's the pastor's fault. If the church is not praying, whose fault is it? Is the, pastor, is the church is not fasting? Whose fault is it? Of course. The lady put up this question on the blog, and she says, "Since I've been asked by my sister to be signing witness with her, uh, to a gay marriage and to attend the celebration after, as a Christian, I'm trying to do what is right. I love my sister, and I've tried and tried to love her without approval of our gay relationship. This can be very, very difficult in reality." She asked me because I am a sister. What else would she ask? But this has put us, as a family, in a very difficult position. Essentially, we are all being asked to lay our views out in the open. Either we go in support or we don't go in disapproval. Have I mentioned how hard this is? What would you advise? In other words, after reading the pastor's blog, she didn't know what to do. So what would you advise? Now, let's take a poll. How many people say, go? Go for your sister's wedding. No, don't be, don't, don't be afraid. We are not going to ostracize you. Okay, how many people say, don't go? If your hands are down, I know you are saying go. <laughs> okay, put that hand. Now, you know, when she doesn't go, they say, Christians, you people are hateful. You people, you are not loving. Is that the issue? They want to give us a bad name. But they will not succeed. We will stand with Jesus. And to the point that you can't even preach the gospel. If you preach the gospel, you are preaching hate. When did the good news become bad news? Put, put up the next, um, next one. So this is someone held. He says, hey pastor, I just have a little something to say from a non-Christian, lesbian perspective. Put it off, put it (laughs) off. Since what what you have written is a breath of fresh air, may people not read your blog. People, and they say, ah, it's fresh air. That is, people that are, do you understand what I'm saying? May they not listen to your teaching and say, oh, that was wonderful. As a lesbian, I love, it's a breath of fresh air. May that not be your portion? Better say amen. You may be a pastor tomorrow (laughs) Which was sweet and totally welcome. I have never read a Christian post that wasn't cruel or rude to the LGBT community. That's What is cruel and rude? Until I read what you have written. Most Christians come off quite angry and preachy when you talk to us, but you don't. But you didn't. And I'm thankful for that. Keep up the good work. There's some guy, I love this guy. He it says, he says, when you say cruel and rude, what you mean that you mean that it didn't tell you that homosexuality is sin, that all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and that if we die in our sins, we will face the wrath of God, that we are all sinners in need of a savior, is that what you you usually hear that you call cruel? She says exactly that. I don't think you understand, when you tell a member of the community that they are sinners, that they must repent or face eternity in hell, you are being rather hateful to them. We would much rather have your friendship, be peacekeepers, than have you preach to us when we don't want to hear it. So, so Christians have been conditioned to to only say what people want to hear. Pastors have become masters at saying what people want to hear. I've become masters at peacekeeping. But God wants us to be peacemakers. We need to put this truth out there in love. You don't want to hear that if you die in your sin, you will go to hell? You better hear Because if you do, you you actually go to hell. Praise the name of the Lord. And there's no amount of legislation that can give you peace. No amount of legislation can give a human being peace. None. Even if they legislate that let everybody go to church tomorrow, that will not give everybody peace. Do you know that? Until you find God personally, yourself. So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to meet the person. Because he knows that if a person can find peace, can find a new life, that person can become a part of a family. And if that family, everybody in that family can find peace and can find new life, that family becomes a part of a community. If there are enough people in the community that has peace and have a new life in Christ, what happens to the nation? And if more nations are going that route, what happens to the world? So it all starts with one person having a new life through an experience in Christ. Somebody tagged me on a video on on Facebook, and I really like that video. I think it's it's a very powerful video. by some guy, um, you know, Miles Moro, of blessed memory, powerful man of God. And we'll watch the video, and, and we'll take it from there.
1: Side us always learning yearning for a brand new world People everywhere are so confused Leaders don't know just what to do Everybody wants a brand new world And though we send rockets To the moon and the stars And though we make trains and ships that go very far And there's not a mountain that man has not climbed Yet a brand new world he could never find Cause if we want a brand new world You've got to have brand new people And if we want brand new people You've got to have a brand new life And if we want a brand new life You've got to have a brand new spirit And if we want a brand new spirit You've got to come to Jesus Christ oh, yeah. Teenagers try everything they could Yet I wonder if they ever would Find themselves a brand new world An old man sitting in a barroom door He still can't find what he's searching for Oh, how he wants a brand new world A brand new world Depends on me and you But we'll never find it In the things that we do Cause Jesus promised A world of his own And he invites you to come along Cause if we want a brand new world You've got to have brand new You've got to have a brand new life. Oh yeah! But if we want a brand new life, come on, Fire! You've got to have a brand new spirit. But if we want a brand new spirit, you've got to come to Jesus Christ. understand why man has failed every time to find himself a brand new world Jesus knew and that's why he came to bear a cross of sin and shame so he could bring us all a new world And though we change governments many times in our lives The world is still the same Why can't we realize That you cannot change a man from the outside, my friend A brand new world begins within Sing it! If we want a brand new world have brand new people. If we want brand new people, you've got to have a brand new life. If we want a brand new life, you've got to have a brand new life. Whoa! <laughs> Jesus Christ, you gotta come to Jesus Christ. You gotta come to Jesus Christ. You gotta come to Jesus
0: Christ. There's nothing more to say. Let's our hearts, as we our heads. For there to be peace in the world, there have to be peace in people's hearts. and Jesus has come so that we can make peace with God I say pastor I get it now I get it, I get it, I get it i am come to church but I haven't made peace with God I want to make peace with God I want to be a brand new person I need a brand new spirit I want to come to Jesus Christ I want to pray with you that is you I don't, you don't need to come forward wherever you are seated I want to pray with you pastor that is me I, I get it now. Put up your hands now. I want to pray with you. Quickly. God bless you. If I put up your hand, put up your hand well over your head. Over your head. God bless, you. God bless you. If I put it up, put it up well. God bless you. Put it up. Put it up well. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep the hands up. Keep the hands up. I'm going to pray with you in a bit. Stay where you are sitting. That's fine. That is me, Pastor. That is me. If you are online, the instructions are scrolling. The instructions are scrolling. You cannot change a man from the outside make peace with God and for for some of us, the rest of us, we need to make peace with certain people in our lives why don't you talk to God about them even right now, just start by the gratitude, think of that one thing in their lives that you can be grateful for and just say Father I thank you for this person I thank you for this person, I thank you for this person, I thank you for this person I thank you for this person you are saying but Pastor I still want to make peace with God can I still put up my hand? Yes, you can. Put it up over your head. I want to pray with you right now. That is me. God bless you. God bless you. Keep the hands up. God bless you. That is me. Can I still put up my hand, Pastor? Yes, you can. God bless you. Right there. Keep the hands up. God bless you. God bless you. Father in heaven, we, we, we thank you for everyone in this place, Lord. We thank you for everyone that you have brought. Heard your word. Taking this step. And they are making peace with you, my Father. We ask that you accept them according to your word. In the mighty name of Jesus. Change our lives. Every one of us that we need to make peace in our relationships. Give us the grace to be peacemakers, Lord. Not just peacekeepers. And let your name be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.